Welcome to uh, this latest recording in our series of Future Farm Resilience podcasts. I'm your host, Will Vaughan France. Welcome back. And uh, today we've got a slightly different topic to some of our previous ones. We're going to be talking about integrated weed control and some of the novel technologies that we might be seeing on farm in the future. Perhaps some of them a little bit less novel, just a, a ringing back of, of things we might have done in the past. And joining me for this chat, we have Will Smith, who is a weed management researcher within uh, NIAB. Many of you might have come across Will and some of his work in the NIAB membership or uh, maybe if you've seen other projects he's been involved in in the media. So Will, welcome. Thank you Will, thanks for having me on. This is obviously going to be really confusing for everyone because we've got two Wills. I think if I get you to say a little bit to introduce your uh, yourself then our, our different accents should help people uh, separate us apart when they're when they're listening. So what I think would be really good Will actually is if you just give people a little run through of the sort of projects that you get involved in in NIAB and uh, what you're what you're researching really. Yeah, so in terms of a background, the the range of projects that we work on, it's really exciting to be in weed management, I've got to say. It's a, it's a really core part of agronomy on farm, so it means that we get involved with a with a whole range of programmes. So there is typically the, the sort of regular herbicide work in terms of, you know, looking at how they're going to develop on farm, looking at some of the newest actives that have come through the pipelines, which is really exciting, actually. It's part of agronomy that gets a bit of stick for lack of innovation. And, and we haven't had a, a, an active for however many years. We've had a really exciting couple come along in the last few years, certainly in, in the arable space. So it's been great to sort of see those come through, have some fruition there. We do it on, on weed resistance and they, that's often off the back of these these fantastic surveys we've been running. So uh, over the last four or five years, we, we've looked at wild oats in detail. Bromes last season was a real, I think I think we'll get onto it about you know where we are with weed management, but bromes were a massive issue uh, and we've collected a, a large number of surveys. And then sort of beyond the, beyond the chemical, I have been doing a PhD uh, for the last four years or so uh, in conjunction with the University of Lincoln. And that's really been about looking at the potential for non-chemical weed control, but specifically into row cultivation. And, you know, there'll be plenty of people listening who say, oh, my granddad had a sugar beet pie when he had his hands steer it. But the technology's moved on. We have camera guidance and it's really sort of transformed that accuracy of it. And therefore, it's brought it back into the relevance of, of the modern day, combining it with alongside other precision agriculture techniques. Uh, so that's sort of been the PhD and that's sort of allowed us a, a springboard um, into other non-chemical technologies. And that's been really exciting to have some projects uh, with partners across from Canada uh, and Australia to look at harvest weed seed control and some of the seed mill uh, technologies, which is, yeah, it's, it, it's, as I say, a really, really exciting time, uh, both from the chemical and non-chemical perspective. This sounds great to me because this allows me to ask lots of questions about machinery, which is that's just perfect. So um, I'm going to try not to do that too much because people, those who are less interested in machinery than I am, might get uh, find that a little frustrating. But I think what I quite like to start with because you mentioned you, you made a comment in in there about sort of perhaps the slow pace or. or lack in some sense of speed of of, of innovation and um, I was looking back through some old media stuff from 20-25 years ago on grass weed control and and I was a bit I suppose a little bit sad in a way that that by and large we're talking about a lot of the same stuff and 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 I, it sort of makes me wonder whether we're are we really making sort of actually we really made progress uh when it comes to the major weeds so particularly black grass and perhaps perhaps brome as well but what's what's your perception of of where we are now in terms of where farms you think have adopted really good practices have they made real 
sustainable long-term progress in the management of weeds, the more pernicious grass weeds, or or are we actually do we are we still lacking in the toolbox of options? And so some of these new things, newer novel, really novel ideas, are going to be essential. I think for me, when you and you say you go back and look at that, maybe some of the sort of the late nineties kind of literature and, and what people were talking about, I think that. In particular research, we're really talking about the, the, the key principles of uh, of what has really now become integrated weed management when we're talking about stacking cultural practices. But we were still in that boom and boom or bust cycle of, of, of a new herbicide was coming along. Unfortunately, before some of the time that I was very much involved, but Atlantis was introduced in sort of 2003. So we're, we're still in that pace where, you know, you could you could still come along and put a, a single product on and get near near total control. And I think that's sort of been if if you think of if you split the time before Atlantis and then since Atlantis and the changes that we've had to go through as an industry, particularly for, for black grass since the emergence of, of Atlantis and the subsequent issues around resistance of it. So sort of 2005, 2006 onwards. I think that therefore, if you, if you split it like that, I think we have made progress. If you look at where we were, maybe 2012, that was maybe the absolute peak of, of, of black grass. We had some really, really bad years. And I think that was very much the point at which if you start to benchmark against then, I think we have seen genuine progress over the last 10 years. I think that that really proved to a lot of growers that they had, they couldn't keep going down this treadmill uh, of just fine, we'll pick up the next can. Oh, that one's not worked. Let's find another one. I think it's been unfortunately masked by the fact that we are working in a, a natural system. So delayed drilling isn't always going to be if you do it by calendar date uh, year after year. Some years you won't get a crop. Some years you'll get an uncompetitive crop. So I think we're now moving into a world of a really uh, managed approach to some of these cultural control techniques, but at least the growers and agronomists do have the tools in the toolboxes about them applying them in a, in, in a in a better and more logical way, rather than maybe we got to a point where people sort of then chucked themselves fully into cultural control and didn't maybe think of some of the drawbacks, which uh, which we now really understand um, more, more more broadly. So of the weeds that you'd be worried about for the next, let's say the next 10, 15 years, um, because, you know, we, 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 we should think long term, I think, rather than just sort of uh, one year to the next. But what worries you over the next 10 to 15? What do you think are, pri- are what, what are the things we really need to focus on in terms of weed species over that time? What, what might be our, what are, what are red flags that might be rising on the horizon? If we if we take it back firstly to, to really and it's intrinsically linked to where do we think our agriculture system is going to be in the next 10 years, because particularly for weeds, the system is what is going to drive not just the abundance, but also the the range of species. So uh, if we assume a direction of regenerative agricultural principles, whether that's in totality or or, or in certain parts of an isolation. So we're going to look at direct drilling we anticipate more diverse cropping and whether that's um cash crops you know just just more diverse cash crops but but it's diversity in the rotation so whether that's um uh, pushing into non non-farmed areas as much as the rotation but if you think of those two in particular i think we're going to see more diverse weeds creep into our system a lot of that might include things like we're already comfortable with or relatively comfortable with. So so the bromes, I've already mentioned that maybe last year we saw a, a big pickup in them. I think we'll continue to see that where in direct drilling systems, they seem particularly 
able to persist because you aren't, you know, they're coming in from hedgerows and they're being brought into the field and further into the field. Although they seem to be quite short lived in the soil, you've got these because they're not being ploughed down, they're, they're remaining on the level. So brome is going to be a, is, a, is going to be a big concern. Again, some of those more diverse weeds, the weeds that we picked up in other areas of the rotation. So we have seen evidence of truly invasive species, so things like a kind of clover coming in through some of our these diverse seed mixes that we're growing for excellent reasons, putting into our cover crops, putting into bird seed mix over winter. We are seeing in truly invasive species, and we need to be very mindful of those. So it's it's going to be a range of, of species that we see. I think the other thing that we we can't overlook is where is regulation going to take us in terms of the pesticides that we're allowed to use there are generally uh, it's a generalization let's start with this but our control of broadleaf weeds is very easy in inverted commas you either have pentamethylene in the autumn in a cereal crop and i, I yes i yes absolutely in a cereal crop and let, let, let's focus on that for now but we've got very easy control of broadleaf weeds in the cereal crops you haven't got them in the broadleaf crops. And that's why we are starting to see them grow things like uh, Burr Cherville uh, uh, as one example, and even some of the uh, things like thistle. Uh, I saw uh, some really exciting broadleaf weeds down at Hingston. If you've been to a, a diverse weed day, something like cudweed is, was, you know, actually quite abundant. I'm not sure I'd heard of it. I don't know whether no, that might test to that, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that might test you as an agronomist if someone's picking out cudweed. But, I, I, I might have to, I might Google some pictures later just to just, just in case. Uh, avoid embarrassment. But um, I, I had an, I remember an agronomist saying uh, some time ago that, um, and I thought it was an interesting way of looking at it, was you should, Try to you should control your broadleaf weeds in your cereal crops, and you should control your grass weeds in your broadleaf crops. And that's kind of a little bit of where we are in a sense, isn't it? Because actually, we've those broadleaf crops give us some some interesting grass weed options in control because of their drilling dates, because of different chemistry, because of um, the way they com perhaps competitiveness harvest date. And then the of course the cereal crops are more challenging for those grass weeds, but give us great opportunities to control broadleaf weeds. Trying to control charlock in beans or in oilseed rape, uh, it, it's not the easiest. Thing. There are tools, but it's not the easiest thing to do. So I don't know. Is, is there any? Do, I mean, do you actually see any logic to that? And, and a role therefore for actually that crop diversity is quite perhaps something that becomes more important as we go forward. It, it is absolutely going to going to become more important. I think we're in a world where all seed rate crop is not a reliable crop by any means um for a lot of growers it is often a bit of a hit and hope and often we farm it that yes, way it's which, probably yeah. probably a, probably that yes a, a, an overemphasis on the word hope um, yes yeah yeah huge yes, hugely a lot of a lot of fingers crossed and i think that's well when you talk to a grower in august and have you gone around the all seed grape is is very much we'll see where we are in a couple of weeks time so we've i think we've seen a decrease in the frequency of of, of broadleaf crops so we've now got an incredible you know in a world we already had quite a uh, quite a cereal dominated rotation i think that's that's only increased over the last three to five years uh, it, and, and that's certainly not just in in where i am in cambridge but more broadly i think there are opportunities though with with things like maize and we can criticize that you know using land for that should be used for for, for food to be used for energy but I think that there is an, is an opportunity as a rotational tool to be using maize as, as, as an energy crop. And, and actually some of these other semi-perennial but short short term perennial crops uh, as well. And they they may have an increasing role going forward, not just for um, you know, energy security in the UK, but actually for some of our. Uh, so from my perspective, for, for the weed management um, side as well. And, and 
and therefore yeah i think i think crop diversity is, is a is an underused tool um which actually does almost in the background do a lot of our weed control for us it's quite a tricky tool isn't it because uh, i mean we had this bit of this discussion in one an earlier podcast with colin looking at novel break crops and unusual sort of perhaps the potential future of some of these break crops most of which are broad-leaved ultimately barring um oats and they almost they all present quite a lot of risk and i i put in a load of different rotations into a a spreadsheet uh, looking at margins and operating costs as well and getting an operating margin and of course the problem with asking a spreadsheet a question is that you get an answer you don't particularly like because it came out saying the best over five years the best option was continuous milling wheat which there were many many reasons why i didn't want to go there but that's like that's what happens when you ask a question of a spreadsheet um that you get an answer that might have some problems if we're having to focus because actually the profitability and risk is driving you more down the the line of um, successive cereal cropping, there are perhaps other ways of bringing in diversity. So catch crops, cover crops, because some of those, you know, with the spring cereal crops um, can roll. But then I guess also some of these perhaps slightly more unusual te- technical ideas like seed destruction or some rather old fashioned but actually quite neat solutions like inter-row hoeing <laughs> yeah yes absolutely yeah so it opens up all those it, it, it's going to force us to look at those roots and i think that's why you know well, admittedly i don't want to say that i was the i was the trigger for for a growth in everybody investing into row hoeing um although i'll take it if, if i'm given it but at the same time i think that, it, that that really does show where we got to the point people are at the end of the road and they are now far more open to to, to genuinely open to um to, to, to looking at these techniques um so yeah taking indoor hoeing as, as an absolute classic in the spring for our excluding bro but certainly for black grass control there is borderline nothing that we can do you can put your atlantis on and that's as almost you know the chance of getting really good control now are very very slim so now we've taken that that t- physical time period out of the calendar year for control we now need to find an alternative and that's where so instead of, so then we've really lost that diversity just by losing atlantis in the spring which is not the best place for it anyway but that's where people are using it you've lost the diversity of control in a time sense so intro cultivation fill, fills that gap as a in the spring we can now go out and do something about our black grass it also fills it from a it's a completely different type of control so it's a physical control you are ripping or burying um, and cutting the weeds and and that's causing their mortality so it's a very different you know if you want to talk about it as a mode of action completely novel it's a, it's a novel mode of action so we, we can add another one, <laughs> have, one of those have we got a, a risk basket. of resistance to crops having you know weeds having their roots cut off i mean can they develop resistance to that you know it's, it seems like it's perhaps a little bit more of a long-term measure perhaps <laughs> I think I think for cut yeah I think I think for cutting I think we we, we would struggle I think what you do see <laughs> but I think it's, it's it's a serious point I think it's you know we'll talk about and it's it's sort of often the back end of a seminar someone at the back wants to ask what's the resistance to spring cropping and I think all of these sort of non-chemical did you, did you spot that that was on my list of questions because it was one of the next things I was gonna you know here what's what what is the risk of resistance to cultural measures yeah. Uh, and I think I think for me, if if, if I just you know I'll, I'll take your I'll take your joke about the about the cutting the resistance, but I think the issue there more is that in a, if we have this diverse more diverse weed spectrum, let's say, 
on the whole. So that's including some broadleaf weeds. There are going to be weeds in that that have root systems that don't lend themselves to to, to, to mechanical weed in quite the same way. They might be able to to reroot better, reroot re quicker. And I think we've seen that in some of our work. If you if you implement a single tool on a range of weeds, some of them won't be killed in quite the same way or quite as effectively. And that that is that isn't any different for intro cultivation. So I think that's that that's, that's the first part. I think in terms of the like genuine cultural controls, so something like sowing date or maybe cultivation. So I think firstly, cultivation may be less so. I think if you're going to bury a weed seed, I think you know it's not going to germinate. They might persist in the soil bank, but not as a problem to the crop. For something like drilling date, I think there is a genuine risk in some weeds that you you are going to see shifts in in the trait. So if you've got a heritable trait that is inferred from drilling date, so something like fertilization requirement, if you're spring drilling and you've got a weed that may have a mixed a level of vernalization requirement across the population, you are probably going to begin to select for weeds that have a lower vernalization requirement within that population. Over what time frame that's going to take place, I think currently is, is, is going to be difficult. And the way you mitigate that is by going back to the aforementioned diversity. So instead of spring cropping for what might seem like eternity, and it might only be three years, yes. But, you know, probably the bank manager might think it's eternity, but certainly the, the ability to, to, to go for three years. Are we going to see significant shifts after three years? I think that's unlikely. And if you yeah. do, you, you can revert into, into winter cropping and all those there's, there's going to be a fitness cost or some sort of cost. Um, and that's going to be combated by going to winter crops. So I think there's risks of it, of it happening. I think the ability to combat it is much easier than just combating a resistance, a, like a typical resistance to herbicides. Yeah, I guess you can move it both directions over time as as, as well by deploying the measures. Absolutely, uh, yeah. yeah. Differently. I was interested when you look at some of these things that come into broad acre cropping when there's a, a limitation on the availability of successful chemical measures or reduction in them, that they perhaps come from sectors which have had to rely on non-chemical measures for much longer. And of course, if you were a high value veg grower there's nothing novel about a, an inter-row hoe indeed actually an in, interplant hoe as they might hoe between the plants down a row as well what's the contribution it's made on on some of these particularly perhaps black grass situations but maybe for other weeds as well what do you yeah. how big do you how significant is its contribution i think it, rather than necessarily weeds i think in cropping systems so i think in in horticulture it, it's it's a much more readily accepted technique you know they've got limitations around some of the mrls if, if they're in you know fresh produce um and therefore even if you're not organic you may be able to use a pre-emergence herbicide you've still been relying upon mechanical control for for some time i think when you look at it in more of an arable like a, a sector that in conventional farming is generally that's fine we've, we've got herbicides i think what you see in france happening is where there's a much greater uptake in organics, um, often around sort of in that Paris space, and but just generally, the fact that there are more intro hose or more alternative technologies being integrated almost into the landscape. If you've got a neighbour doing something, we and we know that a lot about farmers. Often the people who influence them might not be the researcher. It's not going to necessarily be the be the machinery dealership. It might be their neighbour, and where in France you've got sort of greater resolution of non-chemical weed control going on, that's naturally going to drift much quicker. Whereas uh, in the UK, you might have one organic grower and they're completely surrounded by non-chemical growers. And therefore, the, the learnings and, and, and the conversations maybe don't open it up so much. Whereas I think we're now beginning to see 
more openness, more of these technologies being used. And again, maybe breaking down of that stigma from conventional to organic, where actually we are fundamentally trying to achieve the same same goal to some degree and a less polarised debate around that, which is really positive. I always think it's interesting with organic because, and I'm not saying this as any criticism greatly, really, of, of organic, but all of the tools that are deployed on an organic farm for controlling weeds could be deployed on a non-organic farm I think without exception, if a grower chose to do them. That's not the same the other way around, of course, because you have things you're specifically barred from choosing. So it's it's quite a sensible place to go and learn from is the organic sector, because it's having to do things with tools taken out of the box, but it doesn't have any new tools necessarily added to the box. And that's not said as any sort of criticism of it as a as a, as a system at all. But that that's surely a good place to learn. Yes, I think it. I think it is. I think that we need to always remember that. Well, the the for for me certainly one of the biggest tools that organic growers use and and have in their in their toolbox is multi year lays. You know, they often not always not absolutely entirely, but they often have livestock integrated, by themselves or, or through a neighbour sharing scheme. So, they often have multi year lays where you have zero seed return. And I think that that's one of the biggest drivers for for, for, for me in organic agriculture. Yes, they plough a lot. So do a lot of conventional growers. Yes, they drill later. So do a lot of conventional growers. That Those things are, are common. But what a lot of conventional growers don't have is these multi-year lays of, of no seed return or, or opportunities for no seed return. And I mean, for me, that's an opportunity around, you know, some of the SFI elms coming into it is that you might get well historically there wasn't a, enough of a market to take your farm or portion of your farm out for a couple of years maybe we're now at a point if you pick the right options that you that you can do that and that can really contribute to weed management it's just, it's, um, it seems also is that, that in an organic system those two or three years of perhaps clover lay are being used productively for livestock and are therefore a harvested crop either in a grazed form or cut but they're harvested in some sense wherein um, the SFI settings, they they often an unharvested crop or, or mid-tier. So I'm thinking, for example, AB15 here, which can have the exact opposite effect of being a blackgrass multiplier yeah. if it's allowed to seed, yeah. which it probably will be. And then you have a massive seed on the surface for whenever you return into into cropping. So you say they're picking the right option. I mean, that's got to be the most essential part of this if you want to use the tool to get rotational diversity that's going to help you with technical challenges yes yeah yeah so that real attention to detail i mean that's again that's that post 2012 thing i think people are far more prepared to do something for weed management and see that some people see it as a negative but what is driving your system and actually unfortunately weeds and their and their presence does actually drive your system quite a lot largely that is what's driving your organic system that's why they're plowing a lot that's why they have these yes they are fertility building lays as well but they also have a very core role in weed management and that's in the past weed management wasn't worried about because you can put a herbicide on therefore the system could be driven by other factors when that's lost and the balance in the system is it is put back onto another factor it's taken a lot a long time for us to and, and, and readdress the sort of the drivers whether you like it or not that's kind of where we sit now i think i want to introduce another angle on that which i think is in, interesting in relation to the role of those for example fertility building grazed effectively harvested another form that they have no seed return or very more minimal seed return yeah and their cultural measures in a sense that are a block to seed return they're not cultural measures that necessarily are a block to 
the plants being there in the very first place. Mm. And most of the cultural controls that we look at in arable cropping otherwise are to do with minimising the number of plants in the very first place or minimising the size of those plants afterwards, which obviously has an effect consequentially on seed return, but it's not actually a control on seed return. So seed return, but seed return ultimately is the goal. And it's not something which we actually have specific measures that have focused on. So I think you could probably see where I'm going with this, which is then into some of these other techniques you're looking at that are very specifically about blocking that final stage of, of, of seed return. So weed seed destruction, these milling ideas. I mean, can you tell us a little bit about some of these, what they are um, and what's interesting about them and perhaps what yeah. weed species they're useful for in a, perhaps a global context on this, because this is not novel, terribly novel technology in a global sense. No, no, I think I think I think starting with that, yeah. Um, so harvest weed seed control is is probably the sort of the, the real umbrella term. Um and typically that is you know taken to be at harvest. I'm taking that a little bit more liberally and I like to include that sort of pre-harvest phase. So that might include spraying off uh, spraying off your crops with glyphosate in the very, you know, the probably the way we have seen that in the UK. But really, in the truest sense, it's it's it, a lot of it's been developed in Australia. Actually, when we talk about sort of farmer innovations, that's probably the most successful farmer innovation I think, or certainly is, is up there. Um, uh, Mr. Harrington, you know, to have this idea of well, I, I could probably strap my strap one of these these here mills onto the back of my combine and and see what it does to my to what is uh, I mean they have uh, uh, lonely rigidum uh, annual ryegrass uh, over there, and again they've got issues with herbicide resistance, and, and he took that forward and. That's now come into the real marketplace. It's incredibly successful uh, in the UK, uh, in, in in Australia. Um, it wasn't the only type, so seed mill really is the, is the epitome of it. They also we trialing chaff carts, so where, where they're just taking the chaff away, uh, burning it, but also chaff lining in in, in a uh, in an environment that's quite hostile. You know, if you imagine some of the some of the wheat belts in in, in Australia leaving the weed seeds on the surface to you know. Be ex be exposed to sort of over fifty degrees. I, I presume in in, in the very UV and things. Like yeah, that. absolutely. Yeah, all of that. This is trying to irradiate them with the climate. Precisely. Yeah. Exactly. And also, largely, you're, you're centering on the tramways where they could, you know, often they they they, they haven't been known to wind, you know, sort of windrow burning as well uh, in those spaces. I think something, you know, again, let's bring back stubble burning is often, you know, this uh, it's, it's probably the second question after. Uh, at cereals after when should I have burnt uh, sprayed off my sprayed off my uh, sprayed off my fields of black grass um but uh, to which I assume the answer to the latter is well you should have already done it and the answer to the former is maybe you know be, you'd maybe need to be patient for a very long time on that one absolutely yes yeah yeah go and sit on your hands uh and uh yeah yeah sell so yeah don't flick your lights around the around the straw particularly in these, in these dry years we've had but uh, so yeah, so in the so largely come from Australia, and they're, what they're really doing is they're targeting, as the name suggests, any weed seeds that are remaining at harvest, so they haven't yet shed, and that's it's it's sort of taking advantage of of that niche which we just haven't really exposed, and partly because we've not been driven to. If you have successful control from from herbicides, you don't have weeds standing in the crop. So now that's failing and we're now with almost sort of starting to see a new problem. We now need to find a new solution for that problem. And uh, yeah, so 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 seed mills, you know, they are grinding the seed. They're taking the they're splitting the chaff, uh, which 
which contains a majority of weed seeds, um, if they exist in there, and then passing it through a set of mills, uh, which is impacting uh, and crushing the seeds so that they're so that they're deemed un, uh, unviable, and 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 incredibly successfully. You know, these are ninety over ninety five percent effective uh, against most weed species that have been tested. So, um, in the right scenario, they're incredibly effective. But I guess the weed's got to be there at the time of harvest. So. What yeah. if the weed seed's going to shed earlier? What do you do then? Exactly. So, so what's the number one weed probably on the lips of most farmers? It's black grass. Is it there at harvest time for the majority of growers? No, it isn't. So, is it is it a technology for right now for for the, for widespread growers? Maybe not, but it could be. You know, it could make a real difference to those with or those growers with something like Italian ryegrass. We see it as a above all. You know, a new herbicide is, is brilliant. This could be absolutely transformative and, and we know there are growers that are using it it comes a little bit down to a, a mindset shift as well with some of these technologies not just harvest weed seed control but whereas in the past you put a herbicide on and you have less weeds and you think brilliant you've almost got a very short gratification period you've, you put it on and you feel fantastic about yourself harvest and that's and that's great and i think we do live on this you know very short cycle of, of, of and then it's not just in agriculture is it you know you want the latest chocolate bar and you feel fantastic and maybe i'll have another one you you live on this much shorter cycle there is Whereas, a decline in the level of utility you get from each successive chocolate bar which is something i've i've learned over time it's an experiment i've repeated many times as well yeah. um perhaps when you've got I'm just thinking of another technology, for example, because, you know, with my looking at machinery thinking, isn't that interesting? I mean, what about something like the Zern? Is it the top cut? The, 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 oh, the, yeah, the, um, the, yeah, the, like the massive you know, grasshopper. Yeah, yeah, and you've got yeah. particularly for weed species that are sitting above the crop. I mean, you know, two harvests. Absolutely. Weed surfing is not in itself is a, is a new, that's not a new thing. You know, again, go back to the organic world and that's been... You know, well, weed feed what, control with exactly yeah stuff. absolutely so it's something long-standing part in, in, the, in that cropping system this again is another farmer innovation and, and they've put the two together to collect the seeds which is bringing a lot of flexibility whereas you've often might have had a week to do it certainly for black grass a very short time frame before shedding starts and it's above the crop in, in a space so again it, it, it's a it's a technology that can be readily deployed but probably not necessarily across a wide acreage, but it does at least let you bring some diversity into some of your crops. So it might, again, only be really good at targeting something like black grass in your winter wheat crops, but it, that might mean you're doing your intro hoeing or your seed milling in your winter barley crop, because actually black grass, there is significant amounts of, of seeds remaining in your winter barley crop, which we've again shown this last summer with, with some of the survey work. So. We're in a position now where we really need to join up our technologies and our control techniques far better with the opportunities and, and the control technique is it doesn't allow you unlimited number of opportunities anymore. And it's the same and, that, and that's not just for that's the same for herbicides. The newest herbicides have been focused on blackgrass and ryegrass. They're not giving you the same level of brome control as some of the predecessors. So. And I think that's one of the reasons why we saw something like lots of brome come this year. People wholesale changed to, to some other um, chemistry, maybe dropped other effective parts out. So therefore, we need to look at, well, OK, if we're not going to control the brome with this, what are we going to control it with? And we're not getting as much wholesale weed control through one mechanism. So therefore, we're going to have to diversify mechanisms against the diversity of weeds. 
I think that's actually a nice way of summarising where we are, that we need to diversify the mechanisms against the diversity of weeds. And that hopefully summarises actually quite a lot of this conversation that we've had in the, in what's quite a wide-ranging area. I mean, I, I'm really quite actually excited because I think it's nice to see some non-chemical, quite diverse options coming through, perhaps using some of the schemes that are available give us the opportunity to actually work those into how we produce some more sustainable uh, systems for weed control for disease control for pest control and above all else hopefully for economics as well that there might be actually some ways of balancing a profitable rotation rather than just having a lone sort of individual profitable crops that then have to try and balance up shore up things that are rather more risky or or, or don't work so i think that's a great and, and i think we'll probably sort of draw to a, a close there I, I hope everyone listening's enjoyed listening i'm really grateful for will for sharing um his uh, knowledge and ideas with us and and grateful for your time will in uh, in doing this we've got some future podcasts planned to be recorded we're going to do a similar one to this on integrated disease control and talk about things like uh, blends for example and in um in disease control we're going to have a look at precision and spatial farming as well, talk about some of the precision technologies, digital farming in other podcasts, and, and there's lots of other topics coming as well. So on behalf of NIAB and our partners with the Future Farm Resilience Fund at work at Savills and AKC, thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to next time.